So the topic for today is, and then again, hopefully you can see me on the screen here and hear me as well. But the topic for today is adaptive leadership skills for the world we're in now. And um, what I want to do is have a discussion with everybody about um, some of the challenges we're facing in this new world we're in and how we get at those. You know, it's, as I mentioned in the email, you know, 60 days ago, um, I, I really couldn't envision us having this conversation. But the sudden progression of living and working in a distributed environment is now upon us. I mean, we we are who we are, and we've got to figure out how to lead effectively in this distributed environment. Uh, some people are calling it the digital leadership. Um, I'm not really a fan of that term. I like the term uh, that I think is more effective in that we're in an environment where we've got to have more focused leadership. And that focus is really the, the subject to really what spurred me to, to share with you some thoughts here about uh, what does it take to be an effective leader, uh, to be adaptive in the world that we're in now. My thinking here is that in building a culture uh, such as we're all in, and of course, you know, I'm doing shameless book promotion. I try not to do too much of that today. But in building a culture where people are all in, in this environment where we're going to have to to work in, in, in many cases from where we live. You know, the home and work environments have now merged. Uh, we've fused them, uh, whether for better or for worse. And I think it's going to be better if we are willing to adapt to that environment. So we've sent you a, a worksheet today. I think many of you hopefully have downloaded and printed it where you can take some notes. I'd encourage you to do that as we have the conversation today. And then in the GoToMeeting screen that you've got, there should be a chat button and you can, uh, you know, send us a question via chat when we get towards the end of it. I'd ask you to hold them until then and I'll get to the, the Q&A portion of the discussion. And if we don't get to everybody in the course of the 60 minutes that we're allotted here for this conversation, then please email me the question uh, subsequently, if you would. Uh, everybody, I think, should have my address, robert at level5associates.com. And uh, I will circle back with you. So you'll get an answer to your question, whether you get the answer during the course of this webinar today or you get it via email after the fact. And I think where where we can go with this webinar series is, you know, what's going to meet your needs most effectively? We'll follow up with each one of you uh, with an email happy meal summary of what we've discussed and ask about the specific questions or challenges that you may need to address, uh, because everybody in some ways has some unique challenges. Uh, and I know that. What I thought about when we were developing this webinar today was the first I would share with you some thoughts uh, for 30 minutes or so, give or take. And then we'd open up the forum for some questions uh, from your end, again, via the chat button uh, uh, on your GoToMeeting screen. But I really thought of the big six as being the baseline of where our adaptive leadership model resides. You know, many of you have had the opportunity to talk. We've had a chance to talk about the big six principles. For those of you that haven't had a chance to be exposed to them, you will be in the next 30 minutes or so. And hopefully give you a chance to process what they mean. But these are enduring principles. And I don't think we should reinvent new principles for the world we're in. I think we need to adapt the ones that have been proven. And I have been exposed to the big six for many years, um, most frequently by screwing them up. Uh, from learning for that. So I'm going to you know, share with you the fact that these principles uh, I learned because people were, were good enough to teach me, to let me fail, to give me some opportunities to grow. And then even despite their wisdom, I sometimes went out and screwed them up anyway, and then had to learn it that way. The first of the big six that we'll talk about today is set your azimuth. And so in our adaptive leadership world that we're in now, I would encourage you to, with your team, work through what is our azimuth? What is our mission? Who are we? What do we do? Why do we do it? What is our intent? Based on that mission, what is the leader's intent? What end state are we, are we going towards? It may be a shorter term than we've talked about before of two to three years. It might be six months, but you need to establish what that end state is that you're moving towards. And then what are the key tasks that you have to accomplish within uh, that end state, to make that end state come to life. And then the why, what's the purpose? You know, within the mission, 
the intent captures our end state, our key tasks, and the purpose for each one. I would encourage you to do this review of the, of the azimuth with your team in a, in a participatory framework. Mission, intent, values, the third component of the azimuth, and the fourth component is your culture. The values are what your beliefs are. What do we believe in as a team, as an organization? And then our culture are the behaviors that we expect everybody to represent. So mission, intent, values, and culture, all four together equals your azimuth. I suggest at this point in time, in the world we're in now, you need to set or reset your azimuth as first among equals here in the big six. You might have to change your mission statement. If you think of Sir Ernest Shackleton, and some of you I've shared the story with, but if you look at the Shackleton expedition, here is someone who sought to take a crew of 28 people, 1915, get on a sailing ship, go to Antarctica, and then with his ship having landed somewhere, he was going to cross the Antarctic continent, which is about the size of the United States, on land. That was his mission. 28 people on the HM, HMS Endurance. They went down to towards Antarctica, and you know it didn't take long before they got the ship stuck in the ice. And it began to slowly be crushed to death, or the ship was going to be crushed to death, not the men inside it. But they certainly were scared, I'm sure of that. And Shackleton had to change his mission. His mission changed from crossing the Antarctic, uh, being the first people to do that on foot, to getting all of his men back to England alive. And that that was a ch fundamental change of mission. And you say, well, that was a blinding flash, the obvious DFO. No, not really. He could have been so fixed on that mission that he stayed with it, despite the fact that the, the ship was being crushed in the pack ice and they could have all died as a result of that. Instead, um, a mission that was essentially a failure from its initial framework became a big success when he brought them all back. And uh, for that, he is widely renowned as uh, a great leader at that moment in time because he adapted his mission uh, to the circumstances. So you may have to change yours, but the key in setting or resetting your azimuth is to do it deliberately. Don't just expect that this is going to happen because you sent out uh, an email or you said it uh, one time during uh, a meeting session. In fact, once you have your, your azimuth reset, or initially set, I think it's going to have to become the drumbeat of every session you have with your leadership team. Uh, there's a rule in the, in the Army and in corporate world about the seven times rule. If you want someone to really understand a message, you have to share that with him or her at least seven times. Well, I'm going to tell you, I think the rule is 70. I think you need to share it 70 times. I've tried seven. Well, seven really doesn't work. You need to have the azimuth, the mission, the intent, the values and the culture as the drumbeat of your organization. Some people have asked me, well, Robert, what's an example of um, values and how it relates to culture inside that azimuth? Uh, I'll give you an example. In many teams and organizations, they have a set as one of their, uh, their beliefs, their values is that we value respect and respect is regard for others. So I think you have to define the value in order for everybody to really understand it. And so what is a cultural behavior that would represent that belief, respect? One of my favorites is we do things on time. Does that indicate respect? I absolutely think it does. When you value others' time, you indicate that you respect them. So you've taken a belief and translated it into action. And then everyone has to hold themselves accountable to that. And I think you have to have that drumbeat as part of the way you do things 70 times, maybe even 700. Who knows uh, what the future holds? We're in a, a frightfully uncertain world. And the more we have, the more clarity we have in who we are and what we represent, the better off we're going to be, uh, pure and simple. But this is not going to be easy. If it were easy, anybody could do it, particularly when you're looking at a screen and trying to to speak with people with a visual image and an audio signal without the level of body language that we're used to. If you think about many teams that uh, you've been part of and we're part of now, you know, many of them operate 
through that body language interaction, that camaraderie that's made us so powerful. Uh, even the camaraderie uh, among clusters of uh, cubicles, uh, we're not able to rep replicate anymore. So I think that setting and resetting your azimuth is going to be fundamentally important to help bridge that gap where the, the virtual environment, uh, we're bridging the gap and adapting a virtual environment uh, towards that more personal interaction. And I think it's going to be based on how intensely we do it and how often we repeat it. The second principle of the big six is listen. We've got to get everyone involved in the conversation. We really need to now internalize what Stephen Covey said about listening with the intent to understand and not with the intent to reply. It's fundamentally important now that when we have conversations with each other in these sessions, whether they're one-on-one -on -one or as a team, as a collective team, uh, we use the back brief to confirm what we heard. You know, we've got to ask the right questions. Yep, we talked about power questions and we'll talk some more about them here in terms of asking people questions that are meaningful. But some of those questions may be a little different than we've been used to asking. For example, uh, are we doing a regular check-in with our team members, with our key leaders? Uh, one more shameless promotion here. Last week, I wrote a blog called Colby and talked about having a, a telephone tree kind of idea where we called individual members of our team to check in with them to see how they're doing. So part of our power question architecture now in listening is going to be asking uh, more deliberate questions about how they're feeling. How are they coping? Um, what are they doing to establish a routine? What are their biggest challenges? You know, what are your biggest challenges you're facing? Some of them may be uh, personal as well as professional. Uh, we're now merging the environments. So, I mean, it's, it's much harder to say, well, I'm just gonna take this challenge to work and I'm gonna leave this challenge at home because the two places are synonymous. Uh, you can see around me, I'm now sitting in my exotic uh, home office. Well, I wouldn't say exotic, but it certainly is a different environment than in many places I've uh, I've been working over my career. Another power question is, you know, asking our team members, is there anyone close to you that we could pray for or that needs some help in some way? Uh, we've got to get a little more, I think, personalized in some of the questions we're asking asking and then listening to those answers. And then what can we do to help you deal with the challenges that are there? Oftentimes, we don't really ask people where they need some help, but many of us do. And in this environment that we're in, we've got to become more and more comfortable sharing with people uh, on a screen and then in a voice conversation or just by telephone, uh, some of the challenges that we're facing and encouraging people to share those with us. Uh, because I do think that there's a lot of anxiety out there and that we need to be more effective listeners. Uh, we need to become more listening leaders in adapting to the world that we're in. And oftentimes I found that meetings were places where people sort of checked out until it was their turn to speak. We can't have those kind of meetings anymore. We've got to start developing meetings that are truly meaningful. And we'll talk more about that here a little bit more in the session. The third principle is trust and empower. You know, we've, we've got people now that we're gonna to expect to deliver results uh, without sitting in a, around a table with us. And you know, we've, it's more important now that we have a meeting discipline which helps to empower others. Uh, we wanna send out agendas in advance. And we talked about that before, but rarely does it happen. We gotta do that now. We've got to direct some questions, some of these power questions to people to bring them in and deliver their answers during the sessions. And then, you know, give them the ability to, to be innovative, to provide their ideas, establish the ground rules. Uh, I call them FARs, which is, you know, old army term for flat ass rules. But, you know, you have rules for meetings that everyone abides by. In some cases, your ground rules. Uh, I've seen organizations where people actually sign, you know, they sign their commitment to those ground rules. You've got to provide an environment that's psychologically safe for people to, to respond and sending the agenda ahead of time, uh, challenging them individually with questions and then listening to the results that you get. You know, as I mentioned earlier, back briefing the team on what you think you heard 
or the individual, if it's a one-on-one on what you think she said, what you heard, uh, that helps them uh, understand that, that they are uh, free to communicate their ideas as long as they're done within the spirit of our azimuth, you know, our mission, our intent, our values, and our culture. You know, I want to know what you think, and I want to know why you think that way. We may adopt some innovative approaches that, you know, I, might not be my idea, but if I'm going to be the leader of this team, uh, I have to support the members of the team. And, you know, what, earlier I've talked about ideas like a decision tree, where you say, okay, these are the decisions I make, and you list those decisions. And then the rest of them are yours. That takes some courage to do that. And now more than ever in this world of anxiety and fear, we've got to demonstrate uh, that personal courage that says, I'm willing to underwrite uh, some of your ideas. I'm going to listen with the intent to understand. I'm going to trust and empower you to accomplish some difficult tasks that I would have probably earlier in my career told you what to do. Now I'm going to ask you within our intent, what do you think we should do? And how should we go about doing it? When you allow them to process some of the questions in advance and then present their ideas during the session that you're together and listen carefully and, you know, use that back brief tool to confirm what you heard and even underwrite some ideas that uh, might be a little different than what you had. I think you're going to find that the buy-in level goes up. And as the buy-in goes up, the commitment goes up, and so does the accountability. You know, the we've often thought of accountability as a top or down, you know, vertical process. I don't really think so. I think accountability is really a horizontal process. The most powerful form of accountability is mutual accountability. When people hold each other accountable because we have made a commitment to this team and to what we're doing and to our mission and our intent and our values and our culture, and we're going to get through this. That level of buy-in is going to be an enabler for us to achieve far more than we could if we simply defaulted to the fact that this is hard and I'm a little anxious and I'm not sure how we're going to do what we've always done and be successful at. The fourth principle that uh, I've, I've lived and really believe in now that we can adapt to the environment that we're in, the world we're in now, is doing the right thing when no one's looking. Part of this is by being vulnerable. I think people want to do the right more often than not. And sometimes they're afraid to because they might not get it right. And if you're willing to admit the fact that you don't know all the answers and you need some help and you've oftentimes screwed this up too, um, that's going to help. I think it's going to help them understand that by trying to do the right thing, they, there may be some failures and we're going to underwrite some failures. And instead of, you know, asking questions like, what were you thinking? We need to ask questions of each other when things don't go well. It says like, okay, so what did we learn? Think of the difference in those two questions. What were you thinking versus what did we learn? If we become more of a learning organization, people are going to want to do right. I rarely am around people and have been in my career who really wanted to do wrong, who wanted to harm others, who wanted the organization to fail. Uh, goodness knows, I don't think we're in that environment now where people want to fail. Uh, they're uncertain and they're fearful. I think in many ways we're anxious about the future. But if we believe in each other, we believe in doing right. And we espouse that not only seven times, maybe 70 or even 700. In the way we do things, people are going to want to belong. And I believe that wanting to belong is one of the most powerful elements uh, of human interaction. Uh, we want to belong. We've got to have the, the, I guess you would say, the ability to fail forward and learn from it versus find someone to blame. That's the kind of culture that you've got to nurture now more than ever. Uh, the big six were relevant six months ago, six years ago. I think they're relevant now, and we just got to find more ways to adapt them to our environment. You got to support doing right by friends and family too. You know, when we ask questions and we talked about altering some of the power questions to be more, more personal and, and expose more of people's inner feelings. Uh, I think we've got to support the fact that, you know, people have got families that uh, depend on them. We all know that. But I think we've got to be focused on the importance of family now more than ever. 
And we've got to become more of the extended family of an organization too, of a team. Because I, I think that as the lines are blurring between home and job, I think some of the lines are blurring and, and, and for the right reasons in some cases, um, you know, where our values and priorities lie. So we got to honor and respect that. And we'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. The fifth principle is when in charge, take charge. And that, you know, sounds like, well, you know, I got to be the person who says, hey, I'm, I'm in charge and you're not. No, it's not how this works. We do have to have, though, um, the leadership qualities that promote the mutual accountability we talked about earlier. For example, when we're going to have meetings of the team in a virtual environment, uh, we need to have video as well as audio. I know you've been part of the video conferences. And I used to think they were like, you know, hours of my life that I would never get back. You've got to have people participate in video and audio. Don't give them a rain check to be able to just check out of the audio part. I'm sorry, the video part and do the audio part because the dog ate their homework. Nope. They need to be on the screen. Uh, they, we need to know that they're engaged in the moment that we're having this conversation and they're not trying to multitask and play three video games while they're listening to what we're doing. They've got to be in the moment. And so, you know, I, my policy would be though, we don't give rain checks, uh, rain checks on video. Uh, you got to be there video and audio unless there are really dire circumstances. And if it's a technical challenge you're facing, then we're going to figure that out because I need to know where you are in, in your thinking and your body language and how you're processing information. And I don't think you can get that by audio alone. Uh, and in the accountability aspect of things, uh, part of that is by establishing those ground rules we talked about earlier, those FARs, then when people do own up to the fact that they didn't do what they should have done. And I think we've all got to ask the question about, well, is there something more you need? Is there something more we can do? And don't let them off the hook in, in terms of, well, you know, it's it's been a week and I know there's a lot going on. No, I think it has to be a question of saying, okay, this is what we committed to. At each meeting, you know, there's a series of commitments that where you wrap, wrap up the meeting. Okay, who has committed to what by when? And then that's where you start off the next session is by reviewing. Okay, uh, here, what did we commit to here, including yours truly? What did I commit to? This is what I've done, what I committed to. Now let's go around the table and see where everybody else is. Another way I like to do this um, and help in, in, you know, being in charge and, and having the organization go in a, in a cohesive direction here is I like to alternate the chair of the meeting so that each person on the team gets, gets an opportunity to chair the next session. That's going to raise the bar on accountability as well, because people who are leading the session, chances are they're going to be pretty well prepared for it because they don't want to look like a knucklehead in front of all their buddies, right? So rotate the meeting chair and rotate the accountability for facilitating. The meeting. And then as you end each one, again, have a meeting audit along with the deliverables and where you think that the opportunity to learn you know, what did we learn? Then you employ that in the agenda of the next meeting. So these meetings have got to be sessions you prepare for, you're focused on, and you learn from and follow up for the next session. So there's really a continuum we're talking about here in adapting to the environment that we're now in. You know, it's, it's more than just, well, okay, we're going to have a meeting from three to four. Uh, that's, that's not good enough. You've got to prepare in advance. You've got to be in the moment when it when you're in it as that session, and then you got to examine what the deliverables are and everybody commits to their part of the bargain here in where we follow up with the work that, that has to be done. The sixth principle uh, is balance. You know, we talk about balance sometimes in terms of work life, in terms of hours of the day, uh, time management. I'll just tell you right now, I, I think time management is a misnomer. You can't manage time. Time is finite. What we can do is take more control of the time we have. Now more than ever, we've got to take more ownership of the time we have if we're going to create a sense of balance in our organization. One of the pitfalls of crises like the one we're in, in the pandemic environment, is that we can uh, either work all the time or work very little. Uh, we can go to one end of the spectrum or the other. We need to establish the, the value of routines, the value of discipline. Um, you know, one of the things I like about video is, you know, it's a, 
you know, you get to see the person and get an idea for how much rest she's getting and how she, you know, how she looks and, and, and acts in her uh, body language responses. But I think you also got to have some fun and you got to be able to promote that. And I've seen an idea recently where people are having virtual happy hours. I'm good with that. I don't know if every day is a good idea, but, you know, once once a week or so, why not? You know, let's have a virtual happy hour at the end of our meeting and whatever beverage we'd like to have, we have it and toast and salute each other just as we would in a, a more intimate environment. But we're we're still having fun. Now celebrate uh, joyous events like uh, family birthdays or anniversaries. Um, you know, have, have some part of each session where you're promoting the idea of fun. You know, you, you got to have a sense of humor about the world that we're in, as hard as it is. Uh, I think we've got to believe in each other and we've got to have a sense of humor. And we've got to value the fact that we need time with our families and we need time to work. And we've got to establish a discipline of both and respect for both. If you, you know, if you see someone who doesn't seem as though they're as either as committed or as engaged uh, because they're not participating as actively, I would I would watch them carefully. I mean, the, to me, the silent soldiers, uh, those are people who are indicating they have something else going on. I like the idea of having battle buddies where you everybody on the team has a battle buddy or in the organization. That battle buddy is someone who looks out for you and might not be in your chain of command. In fact, I'd recommend they're not. Peers is the best way to establish battle buddies. But battle buddies should have a check-in system with each other. And when you see that there is a silent soldier in the ranks, ask the battle buddy to circle up with him and see what, what else may be going on. Typically, if someone's not engaged, it's not just because they're an introvert. It's because something else is happening and their life may be out of balance, not just in you know their, their focus, but in their energy levels. Now, we've all got four levels of energy in us, physical, emotional, spiritual, and mental. Those battery levels have got to be charged. And if we don't have them charged, if one or two of them gets pretty low, then our behavior and our performance are direct outcomes of that lack of balance. Balance is a matter of energy and not time. But we need help. We need help in times like this more than others. And I think a battle buddy system will really pay off for you in people developing uh, stronger relationships with their battle buddy and also indicators of someone who may be in trouble. Uh, before things get uh, seriously worse. So the big six principles are not rocket science. Uh, I didn't invent them. In fact, uh, I don't think I've ever had an original thought. Uh, I learned from people who were you know, wise enough and kind enough and thoughtful enough to, to lead me to understand them. And uh, I'll never be able to completely repay them for what they have done in that regard. But I would encourage you in this time frame we're in, of challenge and uncertainty to start taking these big six principles and employ them in a more adaptive framework to where we are and what we're in. And when it comes to setting and resetting your azimuth, develop effective listening skills, such as the back brief we talked about, uh, the agendas published in advance, and, and the listening where you're listening with the intent to understand. Think about how you were trusting and empowering your team. How are you delegating both, you know, the authority for people to come up with ideas, make decisions, uh, do things that that you're going to underwrite because they're for the greater good and they're within uh, the asthma of the organization. Do the right thing when no one's looking. Be vulnerable. Uh, be interested in the moment. When someone speaks, you know, pay attention. Uh, follow up. Watch for the warning signs if something's off the grid, someone's off the grid. When in charge, we don't have scheduled discipline. Uh, expect people to deliver uh, products and, and input at certain times within a certain framework because we need that discipline in our lives. We want to belong, but we also want to belong to a team where we have a role to play, where we know where we fit. And inside the mission of our organization, I know that here's what I'm doing that fits within the, the mission of the organization. And then in terms of balance, think about those energy levels and how you nurture them. Uh, watch for the silent soldiers. Establish a battle buddy system where people check on each other. 
as I mentioned earlier, you know, that uh, there should be, a, I think, a call system where leaders check on their team members individually. But a battle buddy is someone who checks uh, both formally and informally and, you know, keeps an eye on people to make sure that if they need help, they're getting help. Or if there are warning signs about their battery levels, they can do something uh, to help them recharge a little bit and then have some fun. You know, I mean, it, we life's too short not to have some fun. Think of ways you can you can have fun. The uh, virtual happy hours, one uh, celebration of birthdays and anniversaries. Uh, sometimes, you know, you could wear funny hats. I mean, there's all kinds of things you could do to uh, lighten up the moment, uh, knowing that everybody's got a lot of anxiety back there somewhere. OK, so that's some of the adaptive tools I want to talk about uh, in today's webinar based on the big six principles. And what I'd ask you to do now, if you'd like to, is go to your chat uh, button here and uh, text in a question for me, and I'll address them in sequence here. How's that? Hopefully, everybody, everybody's able to do this. <laughs> Send a message on the chat uh, chat window. Okay, uh, here's a question uh, from Casey. What's the best way to implement the Battle Buddy system? Does a leader assign them? Well, I think. In some in some cases, and I waffle a little bit here, Casey. I think in some cases that you know you might want to assign them, but I'd really I'd really ask people to 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 volunteer first. And I think if uh, the leadership team volunteers first and establishes their battle buddies, then other people can say, okay, well I can do that. Um, but I would tell you that it volunteers the best way. But I think it's, it's important to have them. And in some cases, you may have to. We used to say in the army, you know, all and told. Uh, some people get to be voluntold uh, for battle buddies, but it's going to work a lot better if it's voluntary, in my view. Let's see here, uh, Danette. Um, how do you feel about skip level check-ins with indirect reports? Well, I think what you're talking about here, Danette, is to check in two levels down. Uh, I personally like it as a tool. Uh, you can't use it all the time, but checking two levels down is one way to reinforce uh, the leadership of your direct reports. So if you approach it that way and not as a gotcha on whether or not your direct reports are doing what they're supposed to do, then I think, you know, you can you can get some real traction there. What I like to do in two levels down is check on the value of the one on ones that they're having, um, you know, with their direct reports. You know, I think one on ones, the most important meetings that you can have. And uh, when I ask two or three levels down what they find most valuable about the one-on-one, sometimes I get some uh, less than interesting responses, which tells me I need to go back and reinforce a little bit more of the value of the one-on-ones. So Dana, you said our work culture is heavy on relationships and dropping in on one another in the office setting is a usual pattern. How can we mimic that in this tech culture where meetings aren't spontaneous or casual? Well, I think that's where, you know, again, we've talked about the call list uh, earlier, Dana, but, you know, sometimes you just, Pick up the phone and call somebody. You know, it's not scheduled or announced. Uh, I would uh, maybe text them first and say, hey, you got a couple of minutes to talk. And that way, if they do need to step away from uh, the puzzle they're putting together, which I understand is like really powerful right now, uh, everybody's doing puzzles, uh, you know, they can step out and talk with you for a few minutes. But I think more spontaneous, uh, the better. And uh, that gives it that sort of spur of the moment type effect with people is the way I would I would go at it. I'd do three or four of those a day. Yeah, and FaceTime, I think, is a good idea, too, uh, in addition to text and calling. But um, again, it's some people have that capability, and, and I think it's good because you do get the, the visuals well the audio, as I talked about. Let's see, Thomas here. What is the best way to deal with some of the fear and uncertainty that many on our teams have? Well, that's a powerful question, uh, Thomas. You know, the uh, the anxiety level, you know, the fear factor is very, it's very strong among people. And, and it's uh, oftentimes we try and hide it, you know, behind something else, a facade of some kind. Uh, in my view, the best way to get at this is to reinforce the drumbeats of the organization. 
You remember we talked about the azimuth, the mission, the intent, the values, and the culture. You know, every time someone does something to reinforce our mission, uh, our intent, our values, and our culture, I think you've got to recognize that. Uh, the second part of it is, I think you've got to ask questions where you're going to get meaningful information and listen to the answers that you get. When you ask someone, what's the biggest challenge you're facing? You may get some responses that are outside the lines of your technical, uh, particular technical responsibilities or the corporate mission that you're, you're on right now. And be willing to listen to those. And you know, sometimes people don't want you to solve their problem. They just want you to listen to what they have to say. You know, empathetic listening is the most powerful. Uh, that's, the, that's the kind of listening where you really do care about what someone is telling you. You may not be able to fix it, but you're willing to listen to it. And I think that's where people, you can reduce some of the level of fear and uncertainty by giving them the chance to share their thoughts and ideas and concerns with you. Uh, Linda, uh, as we know, we're all looking at ways to lessen, lessen the anxiety level of our employees and ensure they, they trust all we're doing to keep them safe and enforce CDC guidelines, preventive measures. Your thoughts? Well, I think that we have to walk the talk uh, in the way we behave to honor the, the rules of engagement right now among people. You know, uh, we've got to make sure that we do, when we're out and physically interacting, we do it from a distance, uh, that we reinforce and practice the hygiene practice you know, uh, practices that are being, uh, the CDC is promoting right now. Uh, you know, you, you've got you've to be very conscious of, uh, you know, your hygiene of, of your washing your hands and touching your face and those kinds of things and talk about those, pre those preventive measures on a regular basis to help promote the behaviors that you expect others to represent. That's part of respect too. You know, being on time is one part of it, but I also think that, you know, demonstrating respect for others is when you follow those hygiene practices uh, very deliberately uh, so that people know you're trying to protect them. You're trying to look out for them and we're doing the right thing when no one's looking. You know, that's part of that walk in the talk. I think that we need to do and we need to, to make sure that uh, with our team members that they understand the importance of the greater good. We're not following these procedures of, of uh, you know, isolating ourselves and things because uh, it's, a, it's a good idea for, for the, the, the nation as a whole, but it is. I think we're, we're following these procedures so that we look out for the ones we love and care for. And we don't facilitate the spread of uh, you know, what's an insidious uh, a viral infection right now. Um, that that we're working our way desperately through and our medical and other professionals are, are just doing heroic work to, to try and get us through it. We need to do our part too. And we need to promote that every day. Let's see, Sunita, um, would you consider inviting all team members to virtual social meeting every week and a forced enforcement if their manager is setting up? Well, I believe that there's some there are some virtual meetings that we should make a requirement. Uh, as far as virtual social meetings, I would be more selective about that and just kind of entertain the idea that we want to have some fun together and we'd like to for, for folks to join us and talk about what what fun things they'd like to do and then let's support doing that. And at least as members of the team, we expect you to tacitly support them, um, even though it might not be the, the number one thing you'd like to do right now. Uh, there are other people on the team who might really benefit from it. And so if we sacrifice a little bit to spend an extra half hour on a session to promote a social uh, gathering, uh, then let's do that. You know, it's it's not too much to ask in this day, this day and time, I don't think. Uh, and unless you're having meetings for, you know, 10 hours nonstop a day. I think uh, people have the opportunity to spend a few more minutes uh, in a social uh, venue as part of the overall meeting. Uh, they're not going to object to that too much, particularly if they know why, you know, if you explain the why. Um, how can we, let's see, Shireen, how can we get the buy-in from our direct reports with regards to horizontal accountability? I believe the way you get that buy-in, and it's not going to happen overnight, is through this one-on-one -on -one forum I was talking about. Uh, you know, the one-on-one the -on -one sessions are where you and your your direct report um, really have the opportunity for a conversation that, that 
other people should not be in on. And I think that's where you build the trust as well. But as you uh, ask the power questions of them and learn about what their concept of accountability is, I think that's going to inform you in some ways as to how you can promote their sense of that accountability. Or if they lack that sense of accountability, you can help them understand how important it is to have it as, you know, horizontal accountability, as you say, mutual accountability, you know, how important it is. Uh, Oftentimes, I think folks uh, don't understand the value of mutual accountability. They think it's, you know, accountability, again, it's just a gotcha technique instead of, hey, We've all got obligations here that we have, we're committed to. And the benefit of the team is only going to be realized when each of us pulls our weight. And I think as you socialize them to that idea, uh, they're going to become more supportive of the concept of uh, holding each other accountable. And you won't have to because you'll see clear evidence where they're doing it. And I think that's, that's how you get at it. Uh, let's see. Matt, what specific adjustments and actions might you recommend leaders make or carry out as teams and businesses hopefully return to in-person working environments over the next couple of months. I think one of the one of the adaptive uh, outcomes of our application, the big six we're talking about now, is that you're going to find when your in-person uh, relationships are you know, when you're able to rekindle them and, and have them again. Uh, I think you're going to find that uh, you're a better listener, and so are they. That you're more respectful, and so are they. Uh, that you honor the, the time that's available and take more control of it. Uh, you know, you, you may even have more effective meetings. Wow, what a concept. You know, that you can have effective meetings uh, in person uh, because you learn to do it virtually, uh, you know, in a distance environment. Now you can do it in person. So I think you'll see a lot of benefits here, uh, a lot of goodness, by taking the practices that you're adapting to now and keeping them. Jeff. Well, uh, Jeff, let's see here. My first job with Pat Riley, hi, coach. It's good to, good to see you. Being ahead of the team scouting opponents was a, a lonely existence, but it's the best work I ever had. Please let others know the emotions of separation they're going through right now is okay. Working remotely will make them more effective in the long run. Well, thanks, Jeff. I'll, I'll circle back with you uh, individually, but I think that uh, that's a wonderful insight that uh, to share with the team here is that I, I really believe we're all going to be better people because of, of what we're going through now. Uh, and a positivity is such a key element of leadership. And as leaders that people are now turning to us more than ever, I think, because of the uncertainty in our world, uh, our positivity is going to be a game changer over time. Uh, we could go through a week or two of this dislocation of our lives, which is what someone told me the other day that they felt like we were in, that our lives have been dislocated. But it's going to be the longer term, you know, when the weeks kind of pile up, that we kind of see the fact that we got to stay with this. And our positivity is going to be critically important because uh, the negativity can take over real quick. And when it does, uh, it's like a pandemic in its own right. From Bill. This pandemic is creating uh, significant anxiety. Lifestyle restrictions add to the personal toll everyone feels. I expect this will last two to three or four months. What will people need to do when we return to normal? What will reentry look like? Great question, Bill. And, and as all of you have asked, just terrific questions. I, I would say that um, reentry will not be immediately easy for us. Uh, we think that we're just going to plug back in. Uh, what's going to happen to us is our lifestyle is going to be more and more adapted, if you will, to the environment that we're in now. And we're going to become a little more distant, uh, at least, you know, at least from a standpoint of we'll, we'll think we're communicating with each other only when we get on the screen and, and visual and, and audio here to have the, have a meeting or get on a, a FaceTime or on a phone call. And the rest of the time we're kind of in our bubble, you know, in our world. Uh, we're going to have to, to step up as leaders and, and help lead people through this transition. When the time comes that we're going to reintegrate uh, our society uh, in, in levels that we've now stepped away from very abruptly, very suddenly, uh, our leadership school, talents are going to be called again to lead people forward into reestablishing these uh, individual relationships and reassuring people that, uh, you know, 
our face-to-face -face interactions, our small group interactions, uh, the goodness of those experiences. Uh, and we haven't lost those. We're going to regain them now. Uh, you know, I, I really believe that some of the most powerful moments in my life was when I was around other people in a physical environment and I felt the energy of the group. Uh, we're we're going to lose some of that now. Uh, some of that energy is going to dissipate. And is, we're, we're gonna, I think it's going to be in, incumbent on us to work very hard in, in the interim to, to keep it alive and keep it, you know, keep it bubbling, full, bubbling along. But we're going to have to, I think, lead the transition back together uh, in a deliberate way and uh, build and rebuild some of that energy that you gain from that uh, uh, being a member of a team and a group and, and, and working together. Positivity is going to be a key factor here both in where we are now and in when we go back to quote unquote, as you say, normal. Uh, it'll be uh, a gradual transition for some of us uh, where the uh, you know, getting back together again is gonna be a little scary, but if we're the ones who, who promote the, the goodness of it and the excitement of being back together again, I think people will really be excited to do that. And in the meantime, we know that, and they know that we're gonna be here and uh, we're not going away. And, you know, when you need me, you can count on me uh, as your leader. And, and I think that ability to trust and, and count on each other that we embody and walk in the talk is going to be fundamental to where we are now and where we'll be then. Well, I don't see any other questions on the screen here. We'll wait a couple of minutes and see if you have anything else. I really appreciate the quality of uh, of your input here, folks, and and you know I, I value uh, the questions and 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 your approach to what we're doing. And if you want to continue these sessions together in specific contexts, uh, you know please let me know. But uh, I'll be glad to do them uh, as long as you'd like to, and in whatever context you'd like to. Uh, here's another question just came in: What non-monetary rewards do you recommend to reward the team? Well, one, one of my favorite uh, tools in terms of, you know, rewarding people is to recognize them in front of others. Uh, you can do that in the meeting sessions that you're, that you're having by, again, you, you have a, a particular time during the meeting where you recognize goodness. Uh, you know, who's, who's a, a hero, a champion here in promoting uh, our azimuth and promoting our listening skills and promoting our trust and empower, you know, those kinds of, you could use the six as sort of uh, segues into recognizing uh, people. Uh, my other tool that I really value is the handwritten note. Uh, you know, it, it doesn't cost much to get a piece of stationery. And uh, if I can find one of my note cards, I'll show it to you. But, you know, that's something about this size here, right? You know, and write a note to someone and say you value them and what they're doing to contribute to the goodness of our team. It may take you about 20 or 30 seconds to write it, and then you put it in an envelope, you know, you can get something else. This is called, uh, yeah, these are stamps, okay? Put a stamp, an envelope, and mail it to someone. We got the great heroes out here in the Postal Service that are delivering mail every day. Write a personal note to someone and tell them you're, you value what they contributed this week to the project or meeting that you're having and see what happens. I can tell you that in my experience, people have collected those handwritten notes and kept them. Uh, one person actually made a scrapbook of them, which I was very touched by. But, you know, that's a tool for your toolbox that makes a big difference. Here's one from Lydia that says, uh, what tools and techniques do you use to stay positive? That's a great question, Lydia. Uh, I, I would say that uh, one of the tools that, that I use is um, I do some uh, self-reflection every day. I have about 10 minutes of, of time where I audit myself and basically say, okay, Robert, what, what have you done to contribute to your personal mission statement? And I have one of my own. And we could talk about that in another session if you like. But, uh, you know, I have a personal mission statement of who I am and what I represent. And I audit myself every day. What did I do to fulfill some portion of my personal mission statement? And I think that kind of helps me stay uh, stay within, Jimmy Buffett says, within the navigational beacons, if you're familiar with him. Uh, <laughs> famous philosopher, right? But, you know, the, the idea here is to 
you know, pump yourself up, right? Like Hans and Franz, you know, pump you up. You got to give yourself a little pep talk every day and do an audit and say, okay, am I, am I being positive or am I letting things get me down? Am I going to be one who, you know, uh, is always wringing my hands in a positive manner? That's, that's really not the person I want to be. So I would encourage you to use a personal audit every day to see if you are indeed staying positive. Another tool I use is I'm a big believer in the benefits of uh, you know personal exercise. And um, now I've had more opportunity in recent times to get some exercise. But, you know, a few minutes a day, I'd say 30 minutes for sure. You know, get out, go for a walk. Uh, Chris and I do that pretty much every day now. We've developed a whole new habit pattern here of uh, three or four miles a day of, of walking. But, you know, fresh air, you might get a little damp sometimes. Okay, fine. But that helps you stay positive because you're keeping those battery levels charged. Uh, you know, so, and, and it's, I would say the third element I try to do is, you know, I, I try and stay in touch with someone in my family every day and just make sure they know I love them. I, I think that we assume people know that, but they don't know that. Um, I've never met anybody who's ever told me that they told their family they loved them too much. So, or too often. So these are some tools that I would put in your toolbox if you don't have them already, you know, or get them out and dust them off and, and start using them and make it a habit, and not something you do just by exception. Well, enjoyed very much the opportunity to talk with you today, team. And like I said, I'll continue these these sessions in some framework. Uh, we'll send you a follow up note and, uh, you know, see what what's on your mind. Another power question I really like. And we can structure some future webinars accordingly, or we can talk individually, if you like, uh, about some tools in your toolbox or the challenges you're facing and and how we can get at those if I can be of service. Sometimes when you're inside the wire with your own team or organization, you become a little myopic and, you you know, a fresh set of eyes and ears that doesn't hurt. So if that'd be valuable to you, let me know and I'll be glad to do that. Okay. Well, it was great talking with you today. And like I said, we'll circle back with you soon. Uh, encourage you to put some of these adaptive tools in your toolbox and uh, bring them to life because the people you serve uh, deserve no less. God bless you all. We'll see you later.